Down in the lowly vale, living waters never fail. Moved by the pleasant gale, gentle breezes blowing. Where all earthly sorrows cease, and eternal joys increase. Oh, oh the land of peace, there I will be going. Welcome to this episode of History Told by Idiots. Absolutely. We're excited about this one. This is going to be really cool. I mean, we think I mean, it's we cool, think. so hopefully you think it's cool too. It all goes back to this. Our vacation was canceled. We were going to go to the beach. Thanks, COVID-19. Did not happen because COVID-19. Uh, uh, then we were going to go to Savannah. Did not happen. Thank you, COVID-19. Yep. So we had a little like staycation sort of deal in our own state. We stayed in Kentucky. Kentucky is fabulous, by the way. If oh, you've it's never, a beautiful. If you've never vacationed here, you're kind of missing out, and you need to. You're kind of There's a lot of really cool things to do in Kentucky. So we went and stayed with some friends of ours. We went to Cumberland Falls, and it was we beautiful. We did. We, we threw axes. We learned how to throw axes. We did throw with axes. Some, with some of our very best friends. We had a great time with that, and I'm really good at it. I'm out of practice now because, you know, there was the whole getting my back sliced open in two different places thing that I went through last week. So, but I'm officially a cyborg now. So there is that. Uh, If any of our fans have stuck with us, they've, they've seen a repeating theme here. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm totally a cyborg. I have a battery in my back now, but um, we we get, we get going and also this has to get her spine ripped open. Yeah. This was surgery number 13 for me. Lucky 13, right? So we had all kinds of fun. We threw the axes. We did an escape room. We we come home and we built our own axe pit. We really did. It's in our yard. It's in our backyard. Be jealous. But one of our big things that we did while we were in Lexington and that sort of general area in London and whatnot, we went to Pleasant Hill. And to the Shaker Village. We did. There. We did. So, um, it was really awesome. I'd been before, but it had been like years and years ago. Well, and I thought I had been, but I didn't. I'd you not. had never been? I'd never been. It's a really cool little place. I could remember some things about visiting the village before, like when I was younger. And plus, I stayed there um, on an overnight conference trip for work several years ago. Right. But... We actually had time to go through and tour everything in Shaker Village. I mean, like, to the most that I could with my plastic leg, you know. And, man, it was really cool. And the more that we learned, the more that we knew we wanted to do... It it was mind-blowing. Yeah, it is. So the more that we learned, the more we knew we wanted to do an episode for you guys. We wanted to educate. Kind of educate you as to what we have learned. Now, I will say... This is not like a religious episode. No. We're going to tell you some things about the Shakers and what they believe. 
trying to kind of be objective with it and just to educate you, just like we educated ourselves with it. I mean, we've never made it a secret that we're Christian people, but we've never brought that into an episode before. And we don't want to offend anybody because we just love all of you. Right. Basically, what she's saying is the views and expressions in this episode do not necessarily reflect the people of this podcast. <laughs> that was good. We didn't even rehearse that. <laughs> we did not. That and I'm really surprised good. that I got it out. Yeah, you did good. So we want to tell you all about the Shaker people. Any thoughts that you want to add before we launch into this? What I wanted to really open up with before you explain anything to them, I want to ask them a question. What I want to ask you is, if you could live in a utopian society, what would you be willing to give up for that? And did such a society ever exist? That's a really deep question. It is. Kind of interested to see what they say. Well, I'll give you my thoughts, and I will say, yes, it did. And we're going to teach you a thing or two about a utopian society. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about the history of the Shaker people. The full name of the group is the United Society of Believers in Christ's Second Appearing, but they're more commonly known as the Shakers. The reason why they're known as the Shakers, we're going to get to. So this is a Protestant sect of the Christian faith, which was, it was founded in 1747. They were sort of a combination of several Protestant peoples, uh, one of them being the French Camisards, which I would like to give you an explanation of the French Camisards, but it's such a long and complicated history that I I can't do that right now. I'll just tell you that the Camisards organized an armed insurrection against King Louis XIV because he was persecuting the Protestants. Homework. (laughs) That's some some homework for you to look up the, the French Camisards. The Shakers were a combination of the French Camisards and the Quakers. You've probably heard of the Quaker people, the Shakers originated from the Quakers and the French Camisards. The Quakers, if you don't know anything about the Quakers, they're called the Religious Society of Friends, actually. And the Religious Society of Friends was founded in the 1650s in England. They wanted to go back to the root of Jesus's teachings in the Bible. So nonviolence, peace, simple living. And they also believed that God exists in all people. So many Quakers were and still are, because Quaker people are still around. I know a couple of Quaker-believing people. They're they're very sensitive to social injustice. And honestly, I kind of wish more people held those pacifist views today. Like, Mm. we need more Quakers in the world. Mm. Social injustice, they are totally against it. They're just peace-loving people. So once we get to the explanations of the Shaker beliefs, you'll kind of see where these influences are brought into the Shaker faith. But back to the Quakers first. The Quakers were aptly named the Quakers because of their style of worship. When they would worship, they would tremble and quake. And by the 1740s, this form of worship had changed. They kind of stepped away from that form of expression. They didn't really dance and quake and shake anymore, except for one group in Manchester, England, that retained this style of worship. They became known as the Shaking Quakers. The Shaking Quakers were led by Jane and James Wardley, who developed into the Wardley Society. And you can probably guess that the Shaking Quakers evolved into the Shakers. Mm -hmm. That's where that name came from, just because of their style of worship, because they would shake and dance. 
So, among the members of the Wardley Society were Anne Lee and her parents and six siblings. Anne is, without a doubt, the most important person in the founding of Shakerism. Mm -hmm. They called her Mother Anne. She was born in 1736 to a blacksmith and his wife. She took a job in a cotton factory, and in 1762, she married a blacksmith named Abraham Standerin. They had four kids all of whom died in childhood. So Mother Anne came from very poor, humble background. In 1770, remember now we said that she was a part of the Wardley Society with her parents and her siblings. So in 1770, Anne experienced what she called a special manifestation of divine light. That's how she explained it. A special manifestation of divine light. (laughs) And after that, um, that awakening is when she officially became the leader of the Shakers. It didn't help that she was arrested on multiple occasions. She was. <laughs> We're going to get to that in just a second. <laughs> yep. She definitely was arrested on multiple occasions. Now, I know that you're probably wondering, hey, wait a second. I didn't, I didn't think that the Christian faith allowed female ministers or female leaders Well, it just depends on the particular branch of faith that you're talking about. Some do not, and some absolutely are 100% okay with it. Like, it just sort of depends. And with the Shakers, they were totally okay with it because of their particular set of beliefs, which we will get to in a second. We're going to go, like, sort of in order, so I don't want to spoil anything for you. Under her leadership, the Shakers held these, like, enthusiastic worship meetings. I would love to have been a fly on the wall and seen the Shakers and all of their kind of glory whenever they held their worship services. The people of Manchester, however, did not approve of these meetings, of this style of worship. So in 1772, things came to a bit of a head when a mob led by a church warden raided a Shaker worship session, which was being held in the attic of John Lee's. Now, no relation to Anne Lee, Mm -mm. but John Lee's, with an S on the end. Five Shakers were arrested... And Lees and Anne were sentenced to one month in prison. Unfortunately, this was not the last time that she would be arrested. Anne was actually arrested twice more after that for, quote, provocative behavior mm. in church. Right. Oh, my. <laughs> right. And, and you know, in a Catholic-led society, a woman standing up and let alone proclaiming that she's got the word of God. Especially if that word of God, you had to dance. Yeah. <laughs> you were led to dance and, yeah. and shake. Oh, scandalous. Scandal. In 1774, she received another revelation from God that directed her to establish a Shaker church in America. She, her husband, and seven other members, one of which was her brother, set sail for America on May 10th of that year. So this is 1774. And by late 1776, they had reached New York and settled a little northwest of Albany. Mm -hmm. By this time, Anne and her husband had actually, scandalous, divorced. They separated. They were separated by this time. And what happened? Which in really would really would not have been looked upon well by members of the traditional church. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. But she gathered followers. It was she had a heart for missionary work, 
And so that was kind of her big goal that she wanted to accomplish was gathering more followers into the Shaker faith. So she gathered followers until 1784 when she passed away. So what did the early Shaker settlement the original, the OG Shaker settlement. The OG. The OG Shaker the OG. settlement. Well, it's it's interesting. You looked up before we started, right, that there was only two Shakers still yes. left in the world. Mm-hmm. But the one that we visited, the community that we visited, I think our tour guide said that there was another working community. Like it was like, like a it historical, was, yeah, like a historical community of. Yeah, there's only one <clears throat> community that still has Shaker people living in it. Uh, is Sabbath Day Lake in Maine. Right. And it has brother Arnold and sister June. Arnold is 62 and June is in her 80s. Okay. So in the early days of settling in America, Anne and her followers settled around eight miles from Albany in an area known as Niskayuna. I'm glad you pronounced that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Niskayuna would go on to change its name after they settled there, but... We'll get to that in a second. The first few years that they lived there were extremely difficult, as you can imagine, because the land was like full-on swamp and full of brush and stuff that needed clearing before they could actually do anything with it. So you know how hard people had it when they came and settled over this way anyway. Mm -hmm. It was not easy going for them because Mm -hmm. the land was so swampy that they had to drain it and then redirect the streams that were causing the swamps in the first place. So it's not like they just came to America and immediately settled and started pulling in the masses oh, to yeah. religiously educate We've them. got a good life like history books want to tell <laughs> yeah, us. Yeah, that's sure. not how it happened. It's not right. how it happened. They did accept converts when they first came. They accepted them. And the first new members of the Shakers, it's recorded that they joined in 1778. And I said that they established in 1776, so for two years, they really didn't do much except for try to build their lives, you know? Yep. By 1778, they had new people coming in. And growth was really slow around that time until 1780. So that's really when they started accepting converts. Because before that, they didn't really have anywhere to put them. Yeah. So they had to figure out um, that situation before they could accept new people into the fold. But at that point in time, too, you didn't necessarily have to live on the Shaker property in the community to be a Shaker. Again, we're going to get to that in just a second. So times were hard, but they were getting a little easier by 1780. They mostly lived on rice and milk and sometimes fish that they caught from the river. But they also planted and sowed grain and harvested. But, I mean, this was hard work, especially on the land where they were. It led to a lot of sickness, a lot of fainting, weight loss. But still, they kind of soldiered on and persevered. At this point, they had about 15 people from the original, what what was it, Seven. seven, that all slept in one log house. On the floor with no pillows and very few blankets. Sounds like paradise. But still, (laughs) under the guidance of Anne, they continued on. Like we said, she had a heart for missionary work. By the time the 1790s rolled around and they started gaining converts, several other Shaker communities had been founded besides the original Niskayuna, which I told you changed its name. It actually, to me, gets more complicated to say really? when it changes, because it goes to Watervliet. I'm assuming that's how you say it. Don't come at me. 
but it's the word water with a V, then L-I-E-T, water vliet. At that point in 1800, the community had grown to about 87 people, but there were more settlements, like I said, that had branched out from the original. There were about 12 at this point, 12 settlements. If you have ever visited a Shaker settlement, which I hope that you have, and if you have not, you should, because if you're at all interested in craftsmanship, in architecture, in history, which you shouldn't be listening to this podcast if you're not interested in history, (laughs) you're just weird. But if you're interested in that, you need to go and visit a Shaker settlement. Essentially what they would do is everything was set up around it was the meeting house was a central location and there were dwelling houses for the different uh, family groups the meeting house let's say is the hub of the wheel and the dwelling houses are the spokes they're on the end of the spokes we could say it that way we're going to talk a little bit more about that in just a few minutes anyway sort of the dwellings and whatnot but the large dwelling houses were a communal settlement In the early days of Shakerism, some converts, like we said, stayed on their own homesteads, their own farms. But by 1787, the lead ministry, so the leaders of the village were called the ministry. So the ministry decreed first at Mount Lebanon, but then everywhere, there was a directive that went out for all of the members to join the communal settlements. And they became known as families. So you went from being able to keep your own property and land to having to live on the Shaker property with the family. You may not be related to anybody by blood, but they were all known as a family. Right. That's that's one thing that they stressed on the tour was that when you hear of, Tess is going to mention an East family or a West family or a North family, it's not necessarily like mine and her family joining a particular family group joins, they don't stay as a family. Uh, right. The, the family is referring to that communal lifestyle. Community of believers. Community of believers. Mm-hmm. So the first dwelling house at Watervliet was built in 1779. It was replaced by another larger building in 1783 because they grew. This one was used until a larger one had to be built in 1816 because they just grew that much more. And the first dwelling house was used as an infirmary. Each of these Shaker families could range in size from 50 to 150 people. So there definitely needed to be room to grow. During 1790 to 1850, there was this huge influx of new Shaker members because they would bring people in from all different places to observe their worship services. They did a lot of like outreaching to the community. Yeah, it's like when they, when they would do like what we would call revivals. Right. And basically what those revivals were was to try to bring in converts. Like a Baptist revival is today. It's like, hey, we're preaching the word, but at the same time, hoping that you, if you haven't got a place, come to our place. So because of this influx of members, all of the communities grew and new ones were created because of that. So in all, during this period of building and recruiting and building and recruiting, more than 20 new settlements were built. And at least 20,000 converts made. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. So these settlements, which originally started in New York, were now in New York, Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Florida, Connecticut, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, and Kentucky. 
So that's kind of the general history of how the Shakers came to the United States, of how they formed, where their roots go back to. Uh, Mother Anne Lee is the most important person in Shaker history, and for several reasons. But we didn't really tell you much about their actual beliefs and their way of life. So we're going to do that now, because that is actually what makes them it's, so fascinating it makes to me. Them, it makes them basically separate from every mainstream. When you hear me refer to mainstream, I'm meaning like the Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, Catholicism. So we're talking within the Christian faith still. Within the Christian faith. Right. They were considered Protestants because so, they still believed in the Bible. But their beliefs were a little different. But their beliefs was a little different. The Shaker theology which was referred to in a particular Shaker hymn as the Precious Way. The first tenet, the belief that the later days had begun in the final dispensation of God's grace on humankind had begun. The belief that Christ had appeared in spiritual form, not the physical form of a human being. As such, Shaker deemed everything associated with the flesh sinful. So that's kind of where the main difference comes in at, because... The Christian faith, Baptists, um, Pentecostals, well, any, yeah, whatever, any, yeah. they believed that Jesus was crossed, but he was crossed made flesh. So he was the physical manifestation of God in a human body. Right. The Shakers believed that he had he had appeared in a spiritual body, yes. but not a physical body. Yes. And the last principle is what really sets them apart, is the principle of duality. Your mainstream Christian faiths. Believe in the Trinity, the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. The Shakers rejected that and believed that God was both male and female. Because in the Bible, in Genesis, when the creation story is being told, God created Adam in his image and then he created Eve. And both of them were in his likeness. He created man and woman, man in, and his woman in his image. Man and woman in his image. And so... The principle of duality states that both male and female are the same. Basically, what it means is, if God created both Adam and Eve in his own image, then he must be both male and female. He must must be a dual-natured God. He is both masculine and feminine. And if that's the case then why would we treat men and women differently Differently. when they're equal? If God is both man and woman, then why would we treat women as if they were beneath men or differently than men? Right. And that is probably, that tenet is probably what sets the Shakers completely apart from everybody. See, they believed that Christ was... The manifestation of God in the masculine form. So Christ was the masculine manifestation of God, spiritual manifestation. They believed that Mother Anne Lee was the female manifestation Mm -hmm. of God. She was seen as the bride of Christ, made ready for the bridegroom. And in her, the promises of the second coming of Christ were fulfilled. So to them, the promises of the second coming of God were already fulfilled. So they saw men and women... As equals. As equals. And, and like I said, in a time where you still have kings and you still have queens and the king is the absolute authority, you can see where there were some problems. <laughs> and it's not just that they believed... You remember we talked about with the Quakers 
how the Quakers believed in equality, how they hated social injustice, well, that translated over into the Shaker faith as well. So the Shakers, 75 years before the emancipation of the slaves, if you became a Shaker convert, you had to free your slaves. No yep. ifs, ands, or buts. There was no ifs, ands, or buts. If you were a shaker, you didn't have slaves. And even your slave could join the community, and you and the slave was equal. Exactly. And they went above and beyond that because they would go and buy slaves out of slavery to bring them into the fold. Right. They believed in equality for everybody. Right. It didn't matter if you were a man or a woman or if you were black or white. It didn't matter who you were or what color your skin was. You were just as equal to the person next to you and the person next to them. Right. They were revolutionary in that way. Because like we said, this is 75 years before the emancipation of the slaves and 150 years before women had the right to vote. In 1787, Shaker women were officially given equal rights within all of the communities. And in 1817, the Shaker's Southern Societies freed the slaves belonging to members and began buying black believers out of slavery. Right. That's unbelievable. Because remember that old dude said that they would even appear on the slave blocks and try to buy slaves' freedom. Now, as far as their way of life goes, yeah. we've talked about this duality. Right. So, Josh, when we went into the dwelling houses and, and when we went into the dwelling houses at Pleasant Hill, what was one of the first things that you noticed? Right, and I've practiced this answer multiple times. <laughs> uh, the symmetry. The symmetry, absolutely. The symmetry of everything. We're going to post pictures so you guys can see this. But okay, if you're just you. You posted that if you're one. listening to this right now and you haven't seen what the inside of one of the dwelling houses looks like, just imagine a mirror image. Of a single room. So when you walk in, the first thing you notice, it's a long hallway with rooms on the left and the right. The doors are placed perfectly evenly across from each other. There's chairs on the left and the right sides of the hallway. There's two staircases on the left and the right. One that goes upstairs, one that goes downstairs. Mm -hmm. If you look further on down the hallway, there are two separate doors that enter a communal dining hall. It's what we talked about. Men and women were totally equal, but they had to take the head to yes. And this is this is the reason when I why I started the episode like I did because if you wanted to enter the society, celibacy was one of the major things that you had to take. Yeah, you, you had to take the vow of celibacy because. Mm-hmm. So if Christ appeared in a spiritual body, he was not flesh, and therefore. They strove to forsake all pleasures of the flesh. Yes, anything that, anything inc- that would make them unclean. You didn't need to have the carnal desires if you were a shaker, if you know what I'm saying. Right. And, so there was no marriage within the shaker and that, community. And that's actually when you, today even, somebody that doesn't even know what the shaker religion was about, but when you mention a shaker, they're like, oh, oh they're the ones that don't have sex. Yeah, they're the ones that don't have sex. And they they, males sex. and females separated from each other. Yeah, they, uh, they, they separated from each other. They didn't have sex. Yeah. There's, but there's so much more to that than yeah. just they didn't have sex. Right. Let me give you a, a sort of a rundown of how they lived. It will give you more information than us just trying to come up with an explanation, yes. if that makes sense. Yes. The leading group in each village was known as the church family, the ministry, and it was surrounded by satellite families which were most often named for points on the compass. So we had the East family, the West family, etc. 
Managing each of these families was a leadership team comprised of, do you know? The deacon and deaconess. Yeah, so we had the elders and the eldresses. There mm-hmm. were two men and two women because men and women were equal. So they both had a right to see to the governing of their right. families. So two elders, two eldresses. There were the four governing people within each family. Then there were the four people that governed the entirety of the, the community. Because no difference between men and women. They both had a say. And their jobs were basically running the families. Separating job tasks, uh, make sure that everybody adhered to the laws. So new members, we talked about them being celibate. That means that no children were born. So new members were recruited, converted, and children, they actually would adopt children. And I love this because they would go out into the community and give these kids that had no place a place to belong. When they turned 21, they were given the choice. They could stay within the community, but they were not forced to. If they wanted to, they could leave. I'm sure that the majority of them probably stayed. I don't have any physical proof of that, but mm-hmm. I just no. yeah. I just love that story that they went out and adopted these kids and gave them a place. So why do we bring this up now? The whole separation of men and women, but the equality. Because the way that these dwelling houses, these living quarters... Everything, the bathhouses, the stables, the the worship house. It's amazing to me. Men and women use different staircases. They use separate doors to come in and out of a room. They sat on opposite sides of the room in worship at meals, in union meetings. And they provided in these union meetings supervised socialization between the sexes. It did not look like socialization like we have now. They didn't right. just go to a party and have a good time. <laughs> That's not what they did. No. They mostly read the Bible and they prayed. Everybody, and we mean everybody, helped out with the tasks of each individual dwelling. Mm-hmm. Nobody skipped work. It was a self-supporting dwelling, meaning each dwelling within the community had its own farm, its own businesses. In times of hardship, another part of the village, another dwelling could step in or maybe even an entirely different Shaker community could step in to help each other out. But the equality reflects in their architecture, and it's amazing to It me. is very, very, very amazing. So work was their currency of service. They believed that God dwelt in the details of their work and the quality of their work. So they gave their tasks absolutely everything that they had to give. This is why everything made by Shakers, whether that was furniture or clothing or food was of the highest possible quality, which is why so much of it still exists to this day. It was made to endure. They even invented some really cool things. The Shaker people had a reputation for their very reliable goods, and their gardens were absolutely insane. And when we went to Pleasant Hill, we had the awesome chance to eat at the trustees' table The Shaker Village at Pleasant Hill is still a working farm. I mean, the village is very much still functioning in that they grow their own crops. They have their own animals. Yeah. So everything that we ate when we dined there was grown on property. Right. From the chicken that we had. And it still uses the same recipe as close as they possibly could. From the chicken, the fried chicken that we had, to Mm -hmm. the green beans that we had that were grown right there, to the delectable lemon pie. Yeah, and they told us that... Everything was grown 
to be able to fuel the human body. It was, it was all good for you. It was all, I mean, it was all healthy, good for you. I mean, like... Maybe not the lemon pie, but... Maybe oh, not the lemon my pie. my goodness. You know, it was stuff that could fuel the body in a good way. Guys, their lemon pie has the entire lemon in it. I mean, the, I'm, I'm not... She's even mad at me. I'm not peel. a lemon pie eater, but that's fine. It was fine with me because I just ate all of it. She did. But even the peel is in it. It's delicious. But their gardens were so bountiful that they would provide more than enough for all of their community members, but they would also give to the poor. Right. Let us tell you a really cool story. The Shakers had so much that they were blessed with that in October of 1862, before the Battle of Perryville, up there near Pleasant Hill, thousands of Confederate soldiers moved in, and the Shakers were neutral. They took neither side of the north nor the south. But the Confederates had a lot of wounded, had a lot of sick, had a lot of things that needed to be tended to, and the Shakers took care of them. And what I found to be funny was that they took care of thousands of Confederate soldiers that they nearly depleted their stock. Nearly. Nearly. And this is taking care of, well, there is no estimated, but all historians agreed that it was thousands of Confederate soldiers that moved through this. So they fed thousands of extra mouths, and it didn't even deplete their storehouses. It didn't even deplete the storehouses. Nearly depleted their storehouses. That's crazy. That's how efficient that they were at what they've done. The harvests were bountiful. Everybody worked the land. Everybody took stock in the village. It was very much a communal thing. It didn't matter if you were out in the garden growing or if you were tending animals or if you were sewing and mending or if you were washing. Everybody took pride in what they did. And because of all of those efforts, the dwelling houses, the communities were able to endure and persevere. At the heart, the very heart of the Shaker community was the meeting house. The meeting house is where they held their worship services. We recently, like we said, visited... Pleasant Hill Shaker community, and we're enthralled with this meeting house. It, yes, it's very mesmerizing. There's no pulpit. It's not like a traditional church. The floor, when you enter, is totally open in the middle because there was no particular preacher. There was no particular order of service. There was not a structured worship service. They could last 15 minutes. The longest recorded service at Pleasant Hill lasted right around 23 hours. So 23 hours of straight-up worship. 23 hours. There was no strict, structured singing of songs and giving an invitation, but there was spontaneous dancing and intense worship and quaking and shaking and lots and lots and lots of singing, though not necessarily the traditional hymns that we're used to nowadays. Right. They had their own hymnals. They wrote thousands of... Thousands. The spontaneous dancing was part of Shaker worship until the early 1800s. And then they replaced it with choreographed dancing. So they had their own dances that they did with their hymns. But then by the time the 1840s rolled around, they returned back to the spontaneous dancing. And it was very interesting, too, because we learned that, like she said, there was no structure, like no preacher. Basically, what was told to us is that when you started feeling the spirit come upon you, you know, you started shaking and quaking and and you stood up and you gave what was on your mind. And what was on your mind was direct from God. 
it was a very freeing worship service. Yep. It's more of, I would consider it more of like a worship experience than a right. service because everybody could participate. It's not like you were going to stand up and they wouldn't let you. Mm -hmm. You kind of gave what was on your heart. Right. We're going to come back to the hymns and stuff in just a second, but this just struck me. and I thought it was kind of cool. But we talked about the two elders and two eldresses that were the sort of governing bodies of the village, I guess you could say. The elders and eldresses lived in a separate dwelling from all of the rest of the families. It was just the four of them. This, these were the ministers. Right. Men on one side of the house and women on the other. Mm -hmm. And they were kept separately from the Shaker people, but they were also supposed to give an example. So it's not like they just holed up and didn't work. Right. They did. They did work. But yeah. at the same time, they worked to give an example, like this is how you're supposed to live. Look at your elder. Look right. at your eldress. You see how they're doing, right. how they're pitching in and helping. And they also was the final law. Like they were the final law. They did not attend worship services or meetings. The reason that they did not really congregate with the rest of the Shaker people is because they didn't want to have a bias. They didn't want to favor one member of the community over another because everybody was equal. So they, they didn't want to interact so as to gain a bias. But they were not permitted to come to the worship services for that reason, but they did watch the worship services. So in the meeting house, if you were to look to the left and the right, you would see two tiny windows that were set into a staircase that was out of the way. It was behind a wall. You couldn't see it, but you could see the little windows. So during the worship services, the men would be on one side watching through the tiny window and the women on the other. And the reason that they did this is if they saw somebody that was not in their community, because they had so many people coming and observing their meetings, that if they saw somebody and they could tell that the spirit was moving on them, then they could go and confront that person and ask them to join. Right. So. And also, too, it was, it was explained to us that they could watch particular members, and if they did exemplify a spiritual connection, I guess, then they would make a note of it. It was kind of like a replacement system. Like they would watch for certain members, and if they died, this is who we want to replace us. This is who we want, we think, would be a good pick for us. I want to tell you something else, too. We went into the attic in the meeting house. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about craftsmanship. They built the roof of the house. No nails. With no nails. No nails. There's no nails. Everything is held into place. By gravity. Right. It's beams leaning against each other. And they built it like on the ground right. and hoisted it up. It we, is insane. We have, we have pictures of that. We do have pictures, we do have of, pictures that. of that. But let us tell you, in a traditional worship meeting, there were hymns, testimonies, homily, silence, prayer, dancing. Always dancing. Tis a gift to be simple. Tis a gift to be free. Tis a gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. Let's tell you a little bit about Shaker music. Because it is just the coolest. It, and this was... Again, when you hear about the Shakers, you hear about, oh, no sex, male and female separate. You don't ever hear about this part of the Shakers. And 
to me and Tessa both being musicians, I mean, it's just, it's stunning. Specifically, I'm a church musician. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously I don't play just in church, but I am a, like, I'm our church organist and our pianist. Yeah. And I love hymns. Hymns are fascinating to me. Yes. It's kind of like we have our Baptist hymns. And the whole purpose of those hymns is to get your mind set right for the preacher's message. But the Shakers, it was their main outreach. That would be the word I'm looking for, outreach. And So the hymns kind of were their message. Were really. their message. Because roll back a few minutes there when Tesla was talking about the no preacher and, and I said when the Spirit would yeah. come upon you, they would sing. That was their way of protruding the message. And it was so powerful that it literally, when you would hear it, it would mesmerize outsiders to the point that they wanted to know more. And that's basically how they would get most of their converts to come to them. It wasn't an organized song. It wasn't like, you know, you go to a church today, open up a hymn book, and you somebody wrote the music. It was from them. It was from their heart. One that's not the, to say that they didn't have hymnals, because they did. Handwritten. Handwritten. Hymnals. Yeah, but the majority of the songs that was put together were these testimonies. And so, like, each and every song that they sung, that they put together, was a testimony. That's what just kind of blew mine and Tessa's mind. I love church music. Yeah, it's really just... Do. Here's one of my favorite ones, and this is from Joe Shields, 1863, and the hymn book that it come from was wrote in 1851. In their own words, the faithful crossbearer I love and no other, none else could be called the children of mother. My union at most with the wicked is slender... Though clothed with garments of gorgeous splendor, with souls who are faithful I will be united, but flesh-hunting mortals shall ever be slighted. Yea, all who do harbor a flesh-pleasing spirit, the kingdom of heaven can never inherit. I think, too, like me and Tessa had a big debate on our way home and stuff when it says mother. It's uh, referring to Mother Mother and and Lee and that duality of God. This particular hymn is called Mother's Anthem by Fanny Pearson. And the handbook that it appears in was written by Benjamin Dunlay in 1840. It is, you are on the ocean wide. I am with you. I am your God. So forward steer, do, do never, never fear. If troubles do surround you and afflictions daily rise, be ye lowly, be ye wise. My arm of strength is always near you. I will protect my own. Mother's anthem. One of the cool things, too, that I read earlier that I shared with Tessa, you know, at first they took traditional hymns, what we would consider traditional hymns, and they would use them. Like Amazing Grace. Like Amazing Grace. And they would use them. But then as time moved on and they become closer with God, they would use the rhythm of Amazing Grace or some other hymn, but they would add their own words to it. To me, that's what is most astounding. Do you want to sing your favorite one, Tessa? I don't want to sing it, but I have been singing it all day. You have been singing it I'm not it going day. to torture you with me singing it, because <laughs> I cannot sing. We'll put the... I may be musically inclined, but I cannot sing. All right, well. It's not like it's even that profound. <laughs> it's not profound. It's not really. <laughs> it's, it's just something catchy. It's it... catchy. It's an old Shaker song. It's an old Shaker song, yeah. everybody, all of them sing it. It's called Come Life, Shaker Life. We'll put a sound clip on. Yeah, here's, here's Come Life, Shaker Life.
Come life, shake a life, come life, eternal, shake, shake out of me, all that is carnal. Come life, shake a life, come life, eternal, shake, shake out of me, all that is carnal. I'll take nimble steps, I'll be a David. I'll show Michael Price how he behaved. I'll take nimble steps, I'll be a David. I'll show Michael Price how he behaved. Yeah, so I've been singing that <laughs> for three days. She has been singing that for three days. <laughs> I don't know if you want to. I kind of told you that they invented a lot of stuff. We can sort of bring this to a close with this. I hope that you've enjoyed learning about the Shakers because we really did. It's just a neat little place to visit. It's a cool it is. history to discover. It is. It's an amazing um, it's history so to discover. It's so different. And you asked us earlier if you could join a utopic society, would you? Would you? And, and did, did it exist? I mean, some people would probably there, argue that the Shaker community was not. Because it, but there were articles about when these outsiders would come in and then they would go report that would call the Shaker Village a utopia on Earth. And they were written about a lot. A lot. By famous people. The Shaker people were written written about by James Fenimore Cooper, Charles Dickens, Herman Melville, and my dude, Nathaniel Hawthorne. Scarlet Letter is my favorite novel ever written. So, Which makes sense Hawthorne. because he wrote a lot about Quakers, didn't he? They are known for numerous from-scratch recipes. They are known for their ways of growing things. They are known for their everlasting pieces of furniture and objects. Oh, I didn't know this. A Shaker song, Simple Gifts, inspired Appalachian Spring. So I didn't know that. That's news. I didn't know that. That's cool. But they were also known for the things that they invented. So let me just give you a... Um, a rundown of some of the things that you can thank the Shakers for. This is not a complete list. There is absolutely no way to know what all can be attributed to the Shakers for invention. But we have the adjustable ventilating door transoms. I don't know if you know what a transom is. Do you know what a transom is? It's when you see a door, it's like the circular window thing yeah. above the door. So that's a transom. They invented those. They invented the round barn. They would build those and then use gravity to pull down the hay. They could stack the hay in the middle, let gravity bring it down. The cows were all around the outside of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it was like a feeding system. The sash balance counterweight. Shaker stairs. We see a lot of architectural influence, even now, in architecture from the Shakers, and Shaker stairs is a big thing. The apple parer and corer came from the Shakers. The automatic seed planter. Condensed milk. Fertilizer spreader, pea sheller, the rotary harrow, shaker lemon pie, baby, the threshing machine to thresh grain with. They invented a pantry box, the shaker pantry box that's still around. They invented the tilting chair that would not scrape on the floor when you got up from it. This is amazing to me. They invented the Corbett's electrostatic machine to use electrostatic therapy on patients. So I read some about that. We don't really have time to, to tell you more about it. Just go look it up. They invented the circular saw. They invented clothespins. They invented cut nails, the flat broom, lumber drying kiln, no kill mousetrap, Deacon Daniel Baird's machinery for making pails, washboards, and shingles. Oh, that's cool. They invented the revolving oven, paper seed packets, the shaker broom vice, the shaker spinning wheel, the water-powered cooling fan, wheel-driven washing machine, and the wood-burning stove. Huh. And now you know. It's pretty cool just to think of 
all the things that these people accomplished. I hope that you have enjoyed learning just a little bit about the Shaker people. Because if you're like most people, you know them for the people that don't have sex. Right. And they were so much more than that. They were a revolutionary group of people that believed in equality. And the Lord knows that we need more of that. More people that think that way in today's time. So would we call it a utopic society? I don't know. I don't know. It's left up to you. It's left up to you. You can let us know what you think. But we appreciate each of you for sticking by us. Um... And sticking by Tessa's robotic implements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a robot now. I gotta go charge my battery in just a few seconds also. So, (laughs) thanks for sticking with us. We appreciate each of you, and I hope that you have a great rest of your day. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Instagram. Well, just those two, really. We don't really fool with the Twitter much. But find us on uh, Facebook and Instagram. That's where we post the most Um, hopefully we'll be getting some YouTube videos up and running soon when I have, uh, time to do so, or Josh has time to do so. It's hard working full time and still, you know, making time to do that kind of thing, but we're trying our best. We do have a Patreon. If you would like to be a contributing member of the show, uh, you can find us on Patreon. Just search for history told by idiots. We appreciate our Patreon people because you guys are just the the best. You're the reason that we can do these episodes and put these episodes out. Right. Thank you. I guess that I'm going to go sing more of Come Life, Shake Her Life to myself. And um, maybe maybe you're going to go do the same because it's the catchiest song ever. It's the catchiest song ever. We appreciate each of you. And uh, with that being said, love history. Love your libraries. Love the Shakers. And... Huh. Shake that cardinal sins out of you. (laughs) (laughs) Love yourself.